You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I like to wonder whether God exists. Play with problems if there's a God. But God, to me, is no game. It is because God is so imperative, existing or not existing, that I need to test the consistency of the God hypothesis. Here's a God problem. For God to be God, God must know the future. And for my will to be free, my actions must not be constrained. But if God knows the future, if God literally knows now what I'm going to do later, then how are my actions later not constrained? There's a real problem here. If God and free will cannot work together, at least one of them must be false. Maybe both of them. Does God's knowledge ruin free will? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. I am driven to know God and to understand consciousness. Why am I obsessed with God's knowledge of the future? Because only God, or something like God, could know the future. Why am I obsessed with the conundrums of free will? Because free will is a powerful probe of consciousness. Pursuing both, I attend a workshop on the theology of free will at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul. God's foreknowledge is the core of the workshop. How can I appreciate the breadth and depth of the problem? I ask a leading philosopher who focuses on free will, Peter Van Inwagen. Peter, those who believe in God want to give God the greatest possible powers, and that includes foreknowledge. Yet, a very important principle of uh, an understanding of human beings seems to be that we have free will. Uh, how do you analyze it? Well, I think that there is a genuine philosophical problem about God's foreknowing the future and the existence of human freedom. We could put the problem this way. God knows everything that I'm going to do uh, in the future, some say. Uh, so in the year 1900, for example, uh, he knew that I'd be sitting here at this table talking to you. Well, was I able uh, to decline your kind invitation uh, to come and talk? Well, suppose I had. I think if you say that if you're able to do something, you ought to be able to describe what things would be like if you exercised that ability and describe it in a coherent way. So imagine that I had declined your invitation. If God in 1900 knew that I was going to be here talking to you now, he believed it, that was a state that he was in then, I can't go into a future in which he wasn't in that state because that would be changing the past. Uh, my part. It's just, it's over and done with. God did believe that uh, or he didn't. But then I must go into a future in which God was wrong 
back then. But that's not, it's not possible for God to be wrong. Any being that could be wrong wouldn't be God. And those are the only possibilities, so it does look like I am unable to do anything else. Peter's point is that because God can never be wrong, and God's knowledge now includes propositions about future events, those future events cannot be altered. How then free will? A classic response is that God is timeless, meaning God is not in time. So normal ways of thinking about God do not apply. A timeless God? How to imagine the supreme being not in time without getting dizzy? Also attending the workshop is a philosopher who defends this timeless God, Brian Leftow. God stands outside of time. And from that standpoint, he can simply see the things that to us are in the future. Uh, so just as it doesn't infringe on my freedom for you to be watching me speak, it doesn't infringe on my freedom for God to have seen me speak from all eternity. And what, what do you mean by God sees it? That's a good question. Uh, and you can't say much more than general abstract things about it. Uh, when I see you, what's happening is that I have knowledge which is caused by your impact on me. You know, right. light reflects off you, goes in the eyes, zips around in the brain, and eventually <laughs> I know it. For God, we get rid of the, most of the details of that process. We simply say, there's me here, and somehow I cause God to have a cognitive state. That's, it's like observation in that his cognitive state is caused by what I'm doing. Mm. And it's uh, perfect. Right, right. It, it, it cannot be otherwise. Right. And yet, even though it cannot be otherwise, you still have a freedom that we call libertarian, which means technically that you could do otherwise. <laughs> okay, when you say that it's perfect and it cannot be otherwise, you're talking about the quality of God's cognition. You're saying it couldn't be otherwise than that he saw it all and saw it just as it is. Mm. Uh, to say that I have freedom is to say, well, I'm doing this one thing and God sees that. I could have done something else. And had I been doing that other thing, God would have, from all eternity, seen that perfectly and every bit of it. And that's a coherent concept. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Brian believes that a God outside of time solves the problem of divine foreknowledge and human free will. I like his quiet confidence. But when I think hard about what a timeless God would mean, I'm flabbergasted. It's such an extraordinary move. Is a timeless God the only way to resolve the paradox? I go back and ask Peter Van Inwagen. As Boethius and Augustine and uh, Aquinas have taught us, God is outside time. He's a timeless being. Uh, he sees the whole past, present, and future once, but he doesn't even see a moving line of the present. Let's suppose that is so. Still, he has effects in the world in time. As Aquinas says, when the Bible says that God did something at some particular time, that meant that was when the effect in the temporal world of one mm. of his actions was. Well, one of the effects in the temporal world is to reveal to somebody at some time what's going to happen at later times. All right, there is no future for God, but there are, of course, times that are later than the time of the, uh, the act of the revelation, so he can uh, revealed to a prophet in one time that something is going to happen later. 
suppose he revealed to a prophet in the year 1900 that I was mm. going to be speaking to mm. you here today. And then what would we say about my ability to decline your invitation and not be here? Well, I can't change the fact that the prophet said that uh, in uh, 1900. I can't change the fact that it was divinely revealed to the prophet. I can't make a divine revelation to a prophet to have been false. All those things are impossible. So there is no alternative future for me to go into. Now, of course, God doesn't reveal everything to prophets, but really it doesn't seem as if whether uh, any given action is free should depend on whether it had been revealed to a prophet that you were going to do it. And prophets, according to the Bible at least, have predicted the actions of some people. Could they have done otherwise on those occasions? Uh, it's very hard to see how. Uh, so I think there is a genuine problem. To Peter, even a timeless God cannot wriggle out of the foreknowledge free will paradox. Philosophers of religion disagree. Nothing strange about that. But here we have leading philosophers who agree on biblical revelation in the Christian religion, but who differ dramatically when dealing with God and time. On the other hand, could these disagreements uncover core contradictions? Perhaps God's foreknowledge and human free will are not compatible. How else to explore God and free will? I ask a philosopher who asserts God's radical sovereignty over world events and human actions, Hugh McCann. Hugh, you seem to want to do the impossible, to make God fully sovereign in his control and to make human beings fully free in their free will. How, how do you harmonize uh, s such a, uh, um, a contradictory position? Now, in my view, human freedom is not a matter of us causing our own actions. And the reason is because if you cause your own actions, it has to be either by some other action that you perform, uh, which leads to an infinite regress, because each time you have this separate action, you have to worry about whether it's free. Okay. okay? Then the other possibility is you could cause the action as part of the action itself. But then you have something causing itself, and that doesn't seem right. So it doesn't look like you can have humans causing their action. That leads you two options. One is there is no cause, and then you have to face classical objections against libertarianism that it means that there are some events in the universe that are just purely random, have no explanation whatever, and we're stuck with them. And in that case, you, you don't really have free will. Anyway, you have randomness. Uh, yeah, it's, it, may, it may be spontaneous, but, there, yeah. but it, there's not much more to it than that. And then the other alternative is you try to invoke God as cause and, and see if you can do so in such a way that human freedom is preserved. Right? So what really is human freedom? Well, to me, what human freedom is, is that you're not acted upon by anybody or anything. So nothing is done to you that results in your choosing the way mm -hmm. you choose. The other thing is that the choice is spontaneous, and I suppose that just goes with action as that kind of spontaneity. And the other thing is the choices are always uh, intrinsically intentional. You can't decide to do something and not mean to decide 
So it's not as if it befalls you or anything like that. And that would happen whether it was purely random or not. Right? Okay, so that's what I think freedom consists in, and then I want to make divine causation consistent with that. And the way to do that, I think, is to, is to realize that when God creates us or creates the universe, two things are true. First of all, God is not a temporal being, so he creates everything at once. And the other thing is that God doesn't choose among options. Right? It's not as if that there, there are two versions of, of, of Bob Kuhn and Hugh McCants, one yes. of pair of whom have this conversation, the other pair don't, and then God selects them, and that's not what happens. What happens is just us. And what God does first is he creates us. So he doesn't select a thing. The only selecting that's done is done by you and me in, in framing questions and giving answers. And there's no reason why that can't be free. Now, as you define human freedom, that didn't sound a lot different from what's called compatibilism, which is how you can be free in a deterministic world, forgetting God. If the laws of the universe were such and the initial conditions, you can predict everything, and so you have a compatibilistic thing. The differential for so-called libertarian free will is that at any moment I can always have done otherwise. Sure. Well, okay, first of all, let's make the distinction between compatibilism and what I'm calling freedom. Compatibilism actually is not a view that makes your action uncaused or caused uh, in such a way that, that you can still maintain all the features that I think are features of freedom, despite the fact that God's being the cause. Compatibilism says something is done to you when you decide, namely you're forced to decide by some the laws or, of nature, or the laws of nature or whatever. And that's not what happens on my view okay. uh -huh. uh, because you come complete with your decisions. God doesn't operate on you. You're not there until, he, until he's done operating, then you're there. God does not create by giving a command and then the command causes something to happen. I mean, that would be... God just creates it and it's there. Just creates it and it's there. It right. shows up. Right. It's the content of his creative act, not a consequence of it. You're saying that God doesn't select among options. Now, many theists believe that God does... Practically all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. And some would have God creating the universe in an open sense, that God doesn't even know what's going to happen. After creating it, some think that God knew every possibility of who would do what and what mm -hmm. condition and therefore actualized the one world in which God knew. So people were sort of free, but God knew which one. You say none of that's true. Right, none of it. First of all, it seems to me uh, that only an inferior God would have to plan what mm. universe he's going to grab. What's he going to do? Is he guarding against error? Is that what it is? A perfect God doesn't commit errors. He's not in danger of committing errors. And so there's no reason to plan ahead. So is it, so is this the best possible world? Well, it, if it is, it's only in retrospect, right? <laughs> that is to say, it's not the case that in creating the world, God's looking over possibilities. There are no possibilities until this he's is done just creating it. the world. This is it, right? Because he creates the possibilities in creating the things themselves, right? Prior to creation or God creating you, there ain't no you to talk about. And so there aren't any possibilities about what you do to talk about. Okay? Possibilities are things that you and I entertain about our future actions because we're already here and we do go through the process of planning and agonizing and trying to avoid mistakes and so forth. God doesn't do any of that. Is that a toy game that we're playing? Because in, in reality, it's all no, set it's real. Forth. It's as real as it can and, be. And God knows that only because God's not in time. Right. Or, God or, sees the or, whole thing. Or, 
or because God actually created in the first that's, place. That's, yeah, that, that's what it really is. God is not in time, tr true. But he, he knows it by creating it. The whole thing is the result. Well, so God's causing everything. Right. And I'm still free. And we're still free. I'm still mystified. Well, because, because <laughs> you think that one of two things. You, you, you think either there were prior possibilities, and, and I'm denying that, right? Mm -hmm. Because the possibilities aren't there until after the reality is there. Or you think if there aren't any prior possibilities, then there must have been a prior necessity. But there wasn't any prior necessity either. All there is, is what there is. Hugh makes an extraordinary claim. We have free will, he says, even though God is causing everything, because there are no possibilities other than what is. Nothing is done to you to make you do anything. I'm reeling. There's a lot going on here, little of it normal theology. God causing everything? Free will without option to do otherwise? No possibilities? Whatever happens must happen? That's crazy. Strangely, I like Hugh's argument. Not because I think it actually works, but because its bizarre consistency and eccentricity highlights the problems of dealing with God. Hugh's free will seems a kind of theological compatibilism. Because God creates everything, we cannot do other than that which we do. But because we are not constrained by external forces, we do have free will. I cannot handle this alone. I better go back and ask Brian Leftow. Compatibilism is something you believe in only if you believe everything you do is determined. So if you're going to be a theological compatibilist, you're going to say God has determined everything we do and yet we're in some sense free as we do it. Well, that means God determines all the evil we do. Now, that's something theists generally want to avoid saying because it sounds like, well, God couldn't be the cause of all that if he's perfectly good. But if God is the creator of all and everything is under God's so-called providence, then evil is part of that process. Uh, I'm not going to let you get God off the hook that quickly. Okay, if everything is under God's providence, then everything is such that he could step in and change it if he chose to. But that's not the same thing as saying that he orders everything to happen, that he causes everything to happen. Some things happen only by God's permission. That's the key distinction that I would want to make. Uh, it's not one that a theological compatibilist can make, because for the theological compatibilist, God doesn't just permit. God determines and causes right. everything. Right. It's because there's a problem about the permission of human evil that I want to hang on to human free will because I want oh. to say that's our, <laughs> yeah. our doing. That, that's, that's your escape clause. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, in essence, will weaken God's providence in order to get God off the hook for the problem of evil, and you use uh, human free will as your get-out-of-jail-free card for the evil. Is that, is that a fair characterization of your uh, approach? Yeah, I mean, it's, ba it's basically fair. <laughs> uh, I would say... I wouldn't call it weakening in the sense that I don't hold that anything happens that's outside the order of God's permission. So just like the theological compatibilist, I hold that everything's ultimately under God's control. But notice there's more than one way things can be under someone's control. In one way, you could be under my control if I was grabbing onto you and making you move every movement you make. That would be the theological compatibilist. Mm -hmm. In another way, 
you could be under my control just by the fact that, well, I'm watching, I'm watching, you can do what you want, and you can do what you want only as far as I let you. And the latter is your, is your view. Right. And right. is that a distinction with a real difference? I think so, because you're saying in my way of looking at things that God has sufficient reason to let me go on and do what I do even when it's bad. You're not saying God is making me do the bad thing that I'm doing. And that's as, you know, you, you, God is much further removed from my evil. The question, though, is how you construe God's control. Uh, the theological compatibilist says God controls it all in the sense that he's constantly got his hands on everything and he's pushing it in one particular direction. I say God has complete control, but what that means is he's always got his eye on everything. And everything goes only as far as he's willing to let it go. And at the point where he's going in a direction he cannot accept, He'll make sure things change. But things will be more flexible under your model. There will be things in there that God didn't intend. So therefore, the strong theological compatibilist who believes strongly in God's providence says that in your world, God is less in control. I mean, you have to say that. Uh, well, they, they will say that. Uh, <laughs> if, if what you mean by, con by God's being in control is God makes everything happen, then that's true. Uh, in my world, God's less in control. If what you mean by God being in control is nothing happens except what is God is willing to accept, then there's as much of God's control in my world as there is in the theological compatibilist's world. Brian differentiates God causing actions from God permitting actions. This means that God can enable human free will while still maintaining providential control of the future and be absolved from the problem of evil. Nice work, Brian, if you think the clever move works. The argument seems thin, I'd say. Remember, this is God we're talking about, the omnipotent supreme being who, supposedly, can do literally anything. I check back with Peter Van Inwagen. I would say that it is possible to define omniscience in a way that it doesn't conflict with God's omniscience if he doesn't know what uh, free choices are going to be in the future. So, so how, how do you, what do you do? Uh, I would uh, say that um, there are things that it's not possible for any being to know and therefore, there are things that the greatest possible being uh, couldn't know. You could put it this way. Nobody except uh, Descartes thinks that it tells against God's omnipotence that he's not able to draw a round square. Let's just define omniscience as, being, as knowing whatever an omnipotent being would be able to know. Some would therefore say that what you're doing with that analysis is degrading God's providence. Well, God's providence means his providential care for us. I don't see how it undermines uh, his providential care for us. I'm sure he's capable of caring for us as things come along and he discovers them. And, of course, he does know an awful lot about the future, even under the limitations that my thesis imposes. The more serious charge is that I degrade the idea of God as a perfect being. Uh, an unlimited being, uh, which of course implies no limitations of 
knowledge. Descartes insisted that if God was truly omnipotent, as Descartes believed him to be, he had to be able to create two mountains that touched at their bases without there being a valley between them. <laughs> I don't think that it undercuts God's omnipotence to say uh, that he doesn't have that power because that's not a possible power. Uh, and I don't think that it undercuts his omniscience to say that he doesn't foreknow the free actions of future beings because I don't think that's a possible kind of knowledge. The tension between God's foreknowledge and human free will threatens both. Here's why. Because God to be God can never be wrong, and because God's knowledge now includes propositions about future events, those future events in the actual future cannot go otherwise. How then human free will? So, at least one of four conditions needs to be true. One, God's omniscience is diminished. God does not know everything. How then is God still God? Few believers would tolerate this. Two, free will is diminished. We are not as free as we think because God knows for sure what we will do. Three, the future is open. Even God cannot know what is not possible to know. Four, God is timeless, outside of time. God not being in time enables God to know everything without diminishing free will. All four are contested fiercely, no surprise. I'd go for an open future or a timeless God. Actually, I'd go for both. Would that be a contradiction or closer to truth? To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.